Well, good evening, brothers and sisters. Greet you again in the worthy name of Jesus. Invite you to turn number 382 for the theme song. Hopefully you're learning the words by now. And invite you to sing with me this song of commitment to pressing on. I'm pressing on the upward way. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord plant my feet on higher ground, Lord lift me up and let me stand, by faith on heaven's table this evening, since I laid a good foundation for you with the children's lesson, we're going to just carry on. 
We're going to talk about a subject tonight that is so practical, I can guarantee you that every single one of us can relate. And I say that with certainty because, first of all, all of us need it, and all of us need to exercise it. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. What does it mean to forgive? That's a word that's very, very important to our faith. We believe in the forgiveness of God. We believe that we forgive others. But what does forgive really mean? Does forgive mean simply to say it's all right? Ah, that's all right. I forgive you. Does forgive mean to say, not a problem, we'll forget all about it? Won't mention it again. Or does forgiveness have a deeper meaning? Forgiveness is a beautiful word. It has several parts to it. The first part is to dismiss or release. And we all understand this part. You can go into court. You go before the judge. You've been charged with some crime. And for some reason the evidence is, is not there. Or the party doesn't even show up. And the judge will dismiss the charges. And you're able to walk. You know, none of you have had any sort of... Um, you, know, you don't go before a judge all the time. But people do, and they're dismissed, and they walk out of that court, a free person. Maybe, maybe we're more like this. We owe a debt to somebody. And we get in over our heads, and we can't pay it, and somebody decides to release us of that obligation. They say, we forgive you. And that's the first part of forgiveness. That's just the top layer. Forgiveness has a much deeper meaning, and forgiveness means to restore to original condition. Forgiveness means that you're as good as what you were before it ever took place. There is no judgment to be pronounced. You walk out free. It's been abandoned. That is forgiveness. And I'm convinced, because we are relational beings, that we need forgiveness. I love my wife deeply. I will die for her in a heartbeat. Now, surely, I would never do anything against her, would I? I know what it's like to need to go to my wife and ask her for forgiveness. And I'm sure you do too, because I'm convinced that relationships are not built upon perfection. None of us are perfect. Relationships are built upon the ability to both ask for and freely give forgiveness. Jesus taught about forgiveness. Yes, he gave the ultimate example, but he also taught about it. I invite you this evening for a text to turn to the relationship chapter in the Bible. I don't hear a lot of pages turning What's the relationship chapter in the Bible? We don't have a lot of time. I don't want to keep playing. Matthew 6. Matthew 7. Good answers? What is it we always drag out when we say, Oh, well, you didn't handle that situation the right way. You know, you should have... Oh, Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Yeah, there's a lot of... 
Please, this is not the only chapter on it. But what I like about this is that Jesus was giving teaching on relationships. He said, if you see somebody that's in trouble and they've sinned, you're not supposed to go spread it all over the countryside. You're not supposed to go get a whole army on your side and go attack that person. The approach is one-on-one. And why is that? So that things aren't escalated beyond need. A lot of things can be taken care of if taken care of early and in the proper spirit and the right way. But then Jesus says that if that doesn't work, if you go and there's no resolution, now you need to get someone else involved. You need a witness. You need to prove that things are being done in the right spirit and the right way. And if that doesn't work, eventually the church gets involved. And if that doesn't work, eventually we get to a point where relationship can't continue. We're going to break in here because I can just see Jesus taught this. The disciples' wheels are turning in their heads. They're trying to simulate what Jesus was saying. And Peter had a question. Verse 21, Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And Jesus could have stopped there. But Jesus carries on. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But... The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. And came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise... Shall my heavenly Father do unto you also, if ye forgive, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses? May the Lord bless this portion of his word. I like Peter. I like Peter because I can identify him with him. Peter was. So down to earth, open, honest, there was no pretense about him. Peter was always getting himself into trouble. I can relate. 
Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth. It was Peter who was there that said, Lord, if that's you coming across the water, I want to walk on the water. And Jesus says, all right, Peter, come on. And Peter walked on the water until he realized what he was doing. It was Peter who said at the Last Supper, Lord, you'll never wash my feet, never. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then he flipped the other way and said, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And, and Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. All we need is the feet here at this point. It was Peter who said, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll die before I deny you. That's Peter, right? And Peter comes with this question to Jesus. And I, I, I see so much of human nature in Peter here that I can identify with. I hope you can too. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? Now, doesn't that question tell you volumes in the first place? He didn't say, Lord, how often does my brother have to forgive when I sin against them? He was more worried about the times he had to forgive, right? And isn't that the way it is with us? We're more concerned about the offense that is taken in our lives than the times that we give offense. And let me tell you something. Was Peter the sort to receive offense or give offense? I think he was a giver a lot more than he actually received offense. Brash people tend to be that way. I know. I've actually hurt somebody without realizing I'd done it. But that's human nature. We're more concerned about the other person having sinned against us than where we have sinned. I think probably there was a wheel going in the back of his mind. I think there was some situation in life that he was dealing with and he was about at his wit's end and he wanted to know just what sort of limits had to go on this. Maybe Andrew had, uh, they were fishing partners, right? Him and his brother Andrew. Maybe Andrew had just uh, taken the fish to market and hadn't given him his share of money more times than he cared to remember. Maybe Andrew didn't put the nets away properly. Maybe Andrew kept boring his favorite coat or fishing gear or something. I think there was something practical that Peter was struggling with here. And typical Peter, not just asked the question, but he supplies an answer as well. He says, till seven times? And I see him kind of like a puppy dog there, kind of wagging his tail. Hopefully seven times is all we got to do. Why would he say seven? Where did that seven come from? I don't know for sure. I do know that at this time, if you study this, that Israel, scribes taught in Israel, that you only had to forgive three times. And they got this out of the book of Amos because it says, for three times the Lord would forgive, but not for four. So they taught mistakenly that God would forgive three times only, and that's all you had to forgive. And so here's Peter perhaps taking that three, doubling it, and adding an extra one. for I, I'm not sure. He, I think he expected to be commended from Jesus by suggesting seven. That, you know, that's a generous number. Uh, Jesus, as he typically did, was so disarming with Peter, he says, no, no, not till seven times. Till seven times seventy. How many is that, children? You like mental arithmetic? Seven times seven is 49, seven times zero zero. Add them together for four, four, four hundred and ninety times. Okay, so now we have it out of Jesus' slips, right? That's all you have to forgive. 490 times and you're free. Now, let's try this. Let's get a little black book and we're going to keep it here. 
You have transgressed against me. I get it out. There's one. And you make those little stick men. Two, three, four, cross across. Now we can count by fives. Five, ten. Oh, but in the meantime, the person's come on. You're keeping track. They come back. They ask for forgiveness. Now you got to get the eraser out and get rid of a couple lines here. Even if you didn't erase. And if you didn't forgive. Don't you think by 490 times it would have been brought to resolution one way or the other? What Jesus was trying to do was convey to Peter the concept and maybe Peter was a simple fisherman. Maybe he didn't know what 7 times 70 was. I don't know. I kind of think he probably did. Jesus was teaching forgiveness without limits. But Jesus knew that that's something that we would struggle with. It would be something that it would be hard for us to grasp. So he gave a story, a parable, earthly story, spiritual meaning behind it. And I want to tell you, this is the parable I'm familiar with. But every time I look at it, I am moved not only by what took place, but by my inability to fully identify with this parable. There's two parts to this parable. The one is when we need forgiveness, and the other part is when we need to forgive others. Now, we all need forgiveness. It's not hard. Let's look at this picture here. Let's look at this parable. What was the story here? There is a king. He decided to call in the debts of the land. And as his bookkeeper sat down, as the accountant started to do an audit, and he started going through all the records there, they discovered that somehow this one servant, and I'm going to use today's figures loosely, but this translates very closely. The servant had got into debt to the kingdom for $25 million. That's a sum I can't begin to pay. And I suspect most of you couldn't pay that either. And the king demanded him to come in and give an account, and there was nothing he could do. All he did is fell down before the king and said, A lie. He said, A lie. Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Really? How is he going to do that? I showed the desire of his heart that he wanted to make repayment, that he, he truly didn't mean to be in the situation he was in, and that he was willing to do what it would take, but he couldn't do it. There's no way he could do it. But in his process, of begging there before the king. It says the king's heart was moved with compassion. And he loosed him and forgave him that debt. Now where did that $25 million go at that point? I'll tell you where they didn't go. They didn't go back into the coffers of the kingdom. The king took a personal hit for that money in releasing that servant. And it's very easy for you to and I to apply this to ourselves. We are that servant that were in debt. We had sinned. We could not pay. We needed somebody to make payment or atonement for us. And God has forgiven us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that all right? We're that servant. We see it up to this point. But now that we have been saved, and we've tasted forgiveness and we've seen what goes on. Jesus doesn't just leave that story there. He gives it a flip. And this is where I want to crawl out of the picture real quick. 
Because although I enjoy the forgiveness of God, I do not like to see myself reflected in the actions of the servant. What did he do? Where did he go? As he was leaving, as he was walking away, he goes across the courtyard and he sees a fellow servant and this fellow servant owes him $10. That's it. 100 pence. We call that coffee money in Canada. You know, yeah, it's money, but it's not something that's going to make or break you. It's not going to destroy you. And he sees that servant and he says, Woohoo, the king's forgiving $25 million. That $10 you owe me, don't even worry about it. Written off. This is what I can't fathom. It says that he went to that servant and grabbed him and demanded repayment. And the interesting thing was that fellow servant had exactly the same response he had had. He fell down and he begged for mercy and he said, I'll pay you. And that servant said, okay, you got 30 days. That servant took his fellow servant and cast him into prison over that debt. How could he do something like that? This isn't even realistic, right? Surely Jesus is giving some illustration that we're not identifying with. I would never do that. Or would I? Would you? Have you ever tried to put somebody in prison? No, we don't take them down to jail throw them in a cell. Have you ever tried to put somebody in prison? Remember, I'm talking about how often this comes into relationships. Do you ever give somebody the silent treatment? Ha! They're going to do that? I'll let them know what they've done. I won't talk to them. Along with that silent treatment, there's an avoidance. They come in one side, you go out the other side. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to go near them until they figure out what they've done. Putting them in jail. And we're not content with that. Maybe it's bad enough that we go out there and we start telling other people what happened. And we say, oh, 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 look at this. Look at this. Look what happened. And we try to get other people on our side and we build up an army of, of public opinion against them. We... Try them and condemn them without ever having a trial or a jury there. Yeah. We do sometimes with people in prison, don't we? We are more like this man than we care to admit. Somehow this man made a critical mistake. He did this in broad daylight. And fellow servants saw it. And they reported it to the king. The king who had done the forgiving gets annoyed. And I don't blame him. He gets annoyed and he has a servant drug back in front of him. And he says, you wicked servant. How could you even begin to do this? 
I just forgave you $25 million. And you can't forgive $10 million. And he took him and he delivered him to the tormentors until all should be paid. And I want to tell you something. When we try to put other people in prison, there's a paradox that happens. We wind up there instead. We wind up like Gareth, holding the backpack, carrying the grudge. And we get delivered to the tormentors. And what sort of tormentors, you ask? I'm going to tell you, the torment of anger and bitterness. You start to seethe inside. There's frustration. There's malice against that person. It can physically give you symptoms. You can get headaches. You can lie awake at night, tossing and turning, playing this thing over and over in your head. An unforgiving heart is the most cold, torturous prison in all the world. I think if we're honest, we know it. We know it. We've been there. Do you know, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, we're warned to look for any of those roots, the root of bitterness, because this is something that we're pretty good at camouflaging. This is something that grows underneath the surface. It can be out of the sight. It can be out of everyone else's but it's there, and if it's not dealt with, if it's not taken care of, it can spring up into a tree and defile many. It can cause huge, huge repercussions. You know, to forgive means to release, to abandon, to restore to the original. We're more like that unforgiving man we care to admit. This is practical. This is something that we all face along the way. How do I forgive? You know, what are the steps? Because I'm convinced sometimes that we're not practicing it as easily and freely as we should. We allow things to get to a state that they become huge in our minds when they started with something that was minor. And I think there's some simple steps we can take. I asked you earlier, forgiveness just simply means, oh, don't worry about it. No, it doesn't. To forgive means to acknowledge the deed. You have to face it. Yes, that did hurt me. I am human. You know, we used to have a saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That's not true. It's not true. Words can cut. They can cut right into the very heart. People can be leveled. I have seen people who have lived with, with problems, if, with, with self-worth because of unfortunate things that were said against them. And I'm not saying that... We're, I'm not talking about the little minor abrasions in life here, okay? Like, there are times when we've got to get a little bit tougher hide. There are things that sometimes we let in that really we should have brushed off. I'm talking when there are cuts. When there, when there are things there that do damage to us, we need to acknowledge it. It's the only way we can forgive. Yes, it's there. It's on the table. And then the next step is to surrender your right to get even. A mother ran into the bedroom when she heard her seven-year-old son screaming. She found his 
two-year-old sister had her hands fully pulled into his hair, was hanging from his head. And uh, she gently released the little girl's grip from his hair and said to the boy, there, there, she didn't mean to do that. And he got a snuffling, acknowledged that, and Mama went out to carry on with what she was doing, and she was no sooner just out in the hallway than the little girl started to scream. She come back in and said, now what's the problem? He looked at her and said, now she knows. We want to inflict on others the pain that we're feeling so they can realize just exactly what it is that they've done to us. And I want to tell you, what does the world say? Do unto others as they have done unto you. The world's going to tell you, you have the right to get even. Yea, even the responsibility. And don't just get even. Make sure you pile enough on they never do it to you again. Is that not the attitude? When we choose to forgive, and let me tell you something. I'm using the word choose here. This is a very important thing that we need to realize. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. Because if I wait to forgive until I feel like, I'm sorry, sometimes I never forgive. But I'm, I'm, that's just where that. You need to choose to forgive. And when you choose to forgive, you're beginning the process of being able to let the thing go. Because that's often what the problem is, right? I can't forget. God says when he forgives, he forgets? No. He says, I promise to remember it no more. Because God knows all things. God removes it and says, I'll never ever bring it up again. We're human. And we remember things. We've chosen to forgive. But it's still there. And it's playing over and over and over. And if I can't forget what's happened to me, how can I forgive? Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch lady who helped to rescue Jews from the Nazi persecution during the Second World War in Holland. And she and her sister Betsy went through some terrible, terrible things in some concentration camps because of their aiding and abetting the Jewish people. And she recounts how one time somebody had come and asked her for forgiveness for something awful that had been done. And she wanted to forgive. She said she forgave. But this thing just kept playing over and over and over in her mind and she was not getting to the point where she could forgive. And the Lord finally granted her peace. She shared it with a pastor, how she was struggling. And this pastor said to her, he said, Corey, you see that church over there? You see the steeple? Up in that steeple is a belfry. And when it's time for church, somebody goes in there and gets on the rope and starts to pull and pulls the rope and the bell starts to ding, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And then after a while, they let go of the rope and the bell still keeps going. Ding dong. But it starts to slow down. Ding dong, ding dong. And eventually, it is stilled. Choosing to forgive is releasing the rope. I'm not saying it will happen like that. It's a process. Forgiving 
when people ask is hard enough. But what about the times when people don't ask? I know people who carry grudges that can go back to the day, the time, the circumstances of what happened. And you know what is ironic about this? I told you how when we decide to hold people in prison, we decide to carry that, we're putting ourselves there. Sometimes that person may not even know what they've done. Yeah, it is possible. It is possible. I may have inadvertently offended somebody. And unless the Spirit reveals that to me somewhere along the way or somebody points it out, I may be somewhat blissfully unaware that I've done it. So what happens if that person ever comes back to me? To forgive without being asked is taking it to a whole new level. And we'd almost think that this is impossible. But I want to assure you that God knows whereof he speaks. His son Jesus was man. And Jesus, that person who had only ever done good to anybody on this earth, who was given a legal trial, who wound up being set next to Barabbas, and the offer was there to take Jesus or take this awful criminal Barabbas, Pilate examines him. He says, I find no fault in this man. He's innocent. You need to let him go. And the people just cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And the soldiers took him and they put those scarlet robes on him. And he had a crown of thorns on his head. And they took a reed and they smote him with it. And they said, who hit you? Who hit you? And they spit on him and they mocked on him. And then they scourged him and then they drug him out in the streets and made him carry his own cross. And he was so weak and fainting that he collapsed under the load. And they nailed him to that cross. And what did Jesus say? The man who could have called 10,000 legions of angels. The man who could have come down off the cross and proved that he was king and lord. He said, Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness is extremely important because the relationships on this level have to be in order for the relationship to go between us and God. It would be entirely biblical if you know something in your life that needs to be taken care of with somebody to get up out of the service right now and go do it. Jesus said in Matthew 5 on that Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you're bringing your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, you make a mental note of that, you put it in your day timer, and then when you get out and you have a convenient time, down the road you give them a call and you take care of that thing so it's not sitting there between you. Jesus said you leave, you leave your gift at the altar. Remember this is the time when they had to go through sacrifices. They had a complicated worship system. There you are, you've got your ox or your lamb and you're... You're ready to do the sacrifices. Oh, I've got something i got to take care of. And Jesus said, you go take care of that first. Be reconciled and then come back. Because without it, your offering to God doesn't mean anything. And why do I say that? Brothers and sisters, here's a crucial key. Do you realize how often we condemn ourselves? 
We pray the Lord's Prayer. Off by heart, freely, say it, say it, say it. Do you realize what you're saying? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. At the end of this parable, Jesus says that God will condemn us the same way this king did if we, like that servant, have been forgiven and are unable to forgive each other. If I only have the forgiveness that I'm willing to extend to others, what sort of forgiveness can I claim tonight? It's serious. It's very serious. It's a practical subject, brothers and sisters. I don't know where your lives are. I don't know if you're struggling with something. But I believe we're going to offer an invitation. If you know you need to be forgiven, or if you know that there's something that you need to go and take care of in your life, or you've trespassed against another, now's the time to do it.